Again, our special speaker today is Chris Miller. He comes out of Olean, Allegheny area, and he has told me that he's going to introduce himself, so I'm only going to say that he's Chris Miller. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to come here this morning and speak to you on creation and evolution. I have several talks I give, and, and uh, this talk I've, I've called the Word of God versus the Word of Man. Now, first, uh, a little background on myself. I, I'm a creationist. I give God full credit for his creation just the way he said he did it in his Word. But uh, there was a time when I did not do that. There was a time when I believed in evolution. Actually, I was a very strong believer in evolution. In fact, I can tell you with certainty that there is no one on earth today who believes in evolution more strongly than I did. And the reason I can say that is because I was 100% convinced that evolution was true. I had absolutely no doubts whatsoever about the truth of evolution. But today... I believe in creation. So as you can see, I've been on both sides of this issue in a big way. Now, as I mentioned, this talk I've titled The Word of God versus The Word of Man. And the reason I've titled it this way is because we get creation from the Word of God and we get evolution from the Word of Man. I mean, when you think about it, there's not one mention of evolution in the Word of God, which means that everything we hear about evolution must come from the Word of Man. Now, there's a Gallup poll that's out there on creation versus evolution, and it's a poll they've been taking over and over and over again. Every two or three years they take it. The most recent one was 2014, and the reason they keep taking it, I suppose, is to see how people's beliefs change over the years, get the trends. And every time they give this, they give people the same three choices to pick from. These are paraphrased, but basically they say, do you believe in creation the way that God says he did it in his word? And 42% of the people responded said, yeah, that's, that's what they believe. Another choice you could pick is, well, instead you believe that God used evolution to create. And 31% of the people said that's what they believe. The third choice you could pick from is, do you believe in evolution but without God? Purely atheistic evolution, no God whatsoever. And 19% of the people said that's what they believe. Now, of these three belief systems, which one do you suppose is taught to our children in public schools? The third one. Now, I find that interesting that the belief system of just 19% of the population is what is forcibly taught to our children in public schools. And as recently as 1999, these same polls showed that only 9% of the people believe this way, believe in atheistic evolution. So it's doubled since then. Oh. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we teach our children. You know, people tend to believe what they're taught. We teach our children atheistic evolution in schools, so naturally more of them and more of them grow up believing in atheistic evolution. I wouldn't be surprised if this number continues to creep up a little bit over the years because, because the teaching of atheistic evolution is, seems to be intensifying instead of going the other way. Now, if you look up this poll on the Internet, very easy to find through Google, but if you look up this poll, you'll see that they ask follow-up questions. This was the basic poll, but then they ask, after they get this response from them, they ask some follow-up questions. For instance, they want to know what people who go to church believe. And so of the people who said uh, they believe in evolution, 
the people who say they attend church weekly, faithfully, every week, a full 25% of them said, I believe in evolution. And of the people who attend church nearly every week, or at least monthly, a full 48% of them said, I believe in evolution. And so if you look at these numbers as a whole, it becomes clear that approximately one out of three people who are in church every Sunday, including the Sunday, if asked, would say, I believe in evolution. Now, that's not the case here, but on average, the average church this morning across this country, if you could somehow poll everybody in all those churches across this country this morning, the people sitting in the pews, one out of three of them would say, I believe in evolution. Now, what's wrong with that picture? (laughs) Well, what's wrong with it is that evolution contradicts the Word of God. And if two things contradict each other, they cannot both be true. I mean, think about it. If I say today is Wednesday, and you respond, you say, oh no, today is Sunday, those two statements contradict each other. They cannot both be true. It cannot be both Sunday and Wednesday here at the same time because those two statements contradict each other. And that's the way it was with evolution and the Word of God. They contradict each other. One of them has to be wrong. I'm going to show you some ways that evolution contradicts the Word of God. But first, I want to make sure we're all on the same page what creation is and what evolution is. I think it just makes sure we don't have any misunderstanding. Now let's start with evolution. Evolution is a man-made theory. Evolution was entirely invented by man. Primarily this man, Charles Darwin. He's known as the father of evolution. And he wrote this book called Origin of Species, first published in 1859. And it was with this book that Darwin first presented his theory of evolution to the world. So let's see in Darwin's own words what evolution is. Therefore, I should infer from analogy that probably all the organic beings which have ever lived on this earth have descended from some one primordial form. So according to Charles Darwin, all life on earth, whether it be past life or present life or plant life or animal life, all life, anything that lives or has ever lived on the earth, everything has all descended from a single microbe that lived long ago. So the way they teach evolution in school is this. They say at one time there was no life, but there were chemicals, molecules around. And at some point, some of those molecules got together just right to form the first microbe. That is called spontaneous generation, when it went from non-life to life. And every evolution scientist in the world believes that spontaneous generation happened in the past. And then once that first microbe fell into existence, then it evolved, eventually gave rise to the, to the first to, to sea creatures, which then gave rise to, to fish, and then it gave rise to bigger fish, and then to amphibians, and then to reptiles, and then to mammals, and then to bigger mammals, and eventually people. And along the way, branched out and everything. So everything is connected by one big web of life. But as you can see, evolution has an order to it, a definite order to it. Not everything evolved at the same time. One thing evolved, then another thing evolved, another thing evolved. So that's important for for what I'm talking about later. Evolution has an order to it of how things appeared on the earth. Okay, now, 
At home, I have a photo album that shows some pictures of some of my relatives who lived in the past. But let's just pretend for a minute. Let's, pre- let's, let's pretend two things. One, first of all, the evolution is true, which I don't think it is, but let's just pretend it is. And let's also pretend that somehow I had pictures of all my relatives who ever lived or lived. Now, if that was the case, it would take a huge library to fit all the albums that contain all the pictures of all my relatives. But if that was the case, I could walk into that library and start flipping through those albums, and I'd find pictures of some relatives of mine that looked kind of interesting. For example, I would find pictures of, of creatures that looked of grandparents or, or uncles. I would find pictures of relatives who looked a lot like apes. I might even call one of them Uncle Ape. Oh, wait a minute, why are you laughing at my relative? You know, if he's your relative too, if, if evolution's true. Like one out of three people in church is, this morning say it is. How about Aunt Liz? <laughs> How about Grandma Fish? Actually, if evolution's true, all of you had millions of sets of grandparents who were fish. And that's because according to evolution... It took fish millions of years and millions of generations to finally develop legs so they could crawl out of the ocean and give rise to your next grandparents. How about some of my distant relatives who are still alive today, according to evolution? Uh, at a recent, well, it was last year, we kind of had a, like a family reunion, and my wife Sandy took a picture of me with one of my distant cousins. And let me show you. This is uh, me and my cousin Oak. Now, you might think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. This is what they teach in school, that trees are related to you. And and just to underline that point, I want to show you a quote from a very famous evolution scientist who is saying just that, that trees are your relatives. Carl Sagan, one of the most famous evolution scientists who ever lived, he was a, by the way, Carl Sagan was once voted the smartest man in America by the readers of Parade Magazine whatever that's worth. But he was, a, he was the host of the original Cosmos series. Now, some of you may have seen the remake of the Cosmos series that's been playing the last year or two. But the original Cosmos series that the, the remake is based on, the original Cosmos series was hosted by Carl Sagan. And that series was shown in over 60 countries worldwide and viewed by an estimated 500 million people. So Carl Sagan was a very influential highly respected, highly intelligent evolution scientist. And he wrote this book called Cosmos to go along with the series that he hosted. I want to show you what he, what he wrote in the book as, as it relates to oak trees. Beginning on page 33, he says, an oak tree and I are made of the same stuff. If you go far enough back, we have a common ancestor. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have common ancestors with oak trees, then that makes oak trees your distant cousins. So here I am hanging out with my cuz. Okay, so that's, that's evolution, which I like to call the word of man, because 100% evolution came from the word of man. It's a man-made invention. Now, let's talk about creation, what I like to call the word of God. Fortunately, creation is a lot easier to explain because God makes it abundantly clear in his word what creation is. In Exodus chapter 20, as written down by Moses, we are told the following. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. So what did God make in the six creation days? <laughs> everything. He made the heavens. You know, everything in the heavens. The sun, the moon, the stars, everything in the heavens, everything in the earth, everything in the sea, he made in six days, the six creation days. What could be more clear? How could he made it any more clear than that? He, made, he didn't just say made everything six days because people would play with the term everything. He says he made the heavens and everything in the heavens, the earth, everything in the earth. It's the, I don't think he left anything out. He created everything in six creation days. What could be more clear than that? I know a lot of people don't believe it, but it's not because of what the Word says. It's because they don't want to believe it. And to make it even more clear, he talks about each specific day on the first page of his Word. If you were to go to the first page of the Bible, you'll see, I, I don't have time to read Genesis 1 right now, but if you haven't read it recently, I would encourage you to do so uh, later on when you have a chance. But when you do, you're going to see that God specifically defines the first day of creation as having just one evening and one morning. And you'll see that God specifically defines the second day as having just one evening and one morning. Day three, four, five, and six. Each of the six creation days, God specifically defines as having just one evening and one morning each. Six times. Do you think maybe God was trying to make a point here? I think he was. I think he's trying to make it really, really clear that when he says he created everything in six days, what he really meant was he created everything in six days. Six evenings and six mornings. And if that's not enough, he also tells us what he created in each of the six days. For example, day six, he says, that's the day he created man and land animals. Another example would be day three. He says, that's the day he created trees and other vegetation. Another example would be day five. He says, that's the day he created birds and all the sea creatures. So as you can see, just like evolution has things appearing in a certain order on the earth, creation has things appearing in a certain order on the earth. So as it turns out, both creation and evolution have life appearing on earth in a very specific order. However, and this is a huge however, however, the order of creation and the order of evolution are very different from each other. In other words, they contradict each other. And if two things contradict each other, one of them's got to be wrong. It can't be both Sunday and Wednesday here at the same time. And evolution and the Word of God cannot both be true because they contradict each other. I'm, now let me show you some ways they contradict each other. According to evolution, animals roamed the earth for millions of years until finally the first bird evolved into existence. So animals first, and then birds. But that's not what God says. Oh, no. No, 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 no. God says just the opposite. God says he created birds before any of the land animals. Remember Genesis 1? He says he created, all, he says he created birds on day 5, and he says he created the land animals the next day, day 6. Just the opposite order of what evolution says. No evolution scientist in the world would say there are birds on the earth before there are land animals. But God says there were. And God should know. He put them both here. Well, why, why would God say one thing if he really meant just the opposite? There is no way evolution and the Word of God can be true, both true. They contradict each other. They say the exact opposite. God's pretty smart. He wouldn't put something down if it was completely wrong. 
Another example of how evolution contradicts the Word of God. According to evolution, there were creatures in the sea for three billion years before the first tree ever evolved into existence. So sea creatures first and then birds. But that's not what God says. God says just the opposite. God says he created trees before any of the sea creatures. Remember Genesis 1? God says he created all the sea creatures on day 5, but he says he created trees two days earlier on day 3. Just the opposite order of evolution. Opposite by 3 billion years. No evolution scientist in the world would say there were trees on the earth before there were sea creatures. But God says there were, and he says it right on the first page of his word. Now, and yet, one out of three people in churches across this country this morning say that evolution's true, even though it contradicts the first page of the Word of God. You know, I thought we'd go to church to study the Word of God. How do you study a book if you don't even trust the first page? I mean, it, think about it. Let's say you go to a library. You want to take out a book from the shelf. You want to take out a book to read. You like true stories. So you grab a book and you open up the first page and you see what, are, what you believe are glaring mistakes all over the first page. Are you going to take out that book? Of course not. That book's a joke to you. If you can't trust what's on the first page of the book, how are you going to know if anything else in the book's true? Let me say, make this real clear. Evolution makes a mockery of the first page of the Word of God. It makes you wonder if those one out of three people in churches on Sunday don't realize evolution contradicts the Word of God. Well, they should know. It's talked about all the time. It's written about all the time. Even evolution scientists, who usually know squat about the Bible, even they know evolution contradicts Scripture. In fact, let me show you some examples. Let me show you some examples where evolution scientists make it real clear that they know that evolution contradicts our, our, the Word of God. Encyclopedia Britannica. Most prestigious encyclopedia in the world. Always has been. Now, I know that most of you don't read the encyclopedia anymore because, well, because you got the Internet. But let me tell you a little secret about the Internet. Not everything you read on the Internet is true. <laughs> But everything you read in Britannica is supposed to be true because the science articles in Britannica were written by some of the smartest people in the world and then they were reviewed by other smart people. So by the time they get vetted out and make it in Britannica, you're supposed to be able to bank on them. I like to call Britannica the gospel according to man. Now, this is set of Britannica we have at home. It's actually more volumes than that, but this, this does it. Uh, because this is the volume I want to talk about, volume 7. That's, a volume, that's the volume that has the article on evolution in it. Let me show you what this gospel according to man says about evolution in Scripture. Quote, Darwin did two things. He showed that evolution was a fact, contradicting scriptural legends of creation, and that its cause, natural selection, was automatic, with no room, for divine guidance or design. Now, I disagree that evolution is a fact, but I do agree that evolution contradicts Scripture. It most certainly does. Let me give you another example. Another example of a, 
of an evolution scientist who makes it real clear he knows that evolution contradicts the scripture. Dr. Edward Wilson, research scientist at Harvard University for many years. And uh, let me show you what he says. As were many persons from Alabama, I was a born-again Christian. When I was 15, I entered the Southern Baptist Church with great fervor and interest in the fundamentalist religion. I left at 17 when I got to the University of Alabama and heard about evolution. Now, I can't speak for whether or not Dr. Wilson was really born again, but he, yeah, he says he was, until he heard about evolution. Then he saw the contradiction. Then he knew he either had to throw out the word of God or throw out the word of man because they contradict each other. Unfortunately, he chose to throw out the word of God, but at least he realized he couldn't believe in both because, again, they contradict each other. Let me show you another example of an evolution scientist who saw the contradiction. Charles Darwin. He was an evolutionist. He's the one that invented evolution. I don't know if you realize it or not, but Charles Darwin at one time was studying to be a preacher. He was going to be a minister. He was taking... He was taking uh, theology courses at Cambridge University in preparation for the ministry. The plan for Charles Darwin's life at one point was to become a preacher of the Word of God. Well, that all changed when he invented evolution and believed evolution because he saw the contradiction. Let me show you something he said not long before he died, uh, a year or two before he died. It was in response to a direct question he got about his beliefs. And he wrote a one-sentence letter back. And this one-sentence letter, by the way, just sold on, at auction last, last uh, September. But anyway, here's the one-sentence letter he wrote back to the quest, direct question he got on his beliefs. Dar Charles Darwin wrote, quote, I'm sorry to have to inform you that I do not believe in the Bible as a divine revelation, and therefore not in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And that's coming from someone who at one time was studying to be a preacher of the Word of God. One final one, I, uh, one final evolution scientist I want to mention, William Provine. He was a, a professor at Cornell University where he taught evolutionary biology to thousands of people's children, students. Let me show you what he said. Quote, let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. There are no gods. There is no life after death. When I die, I'm absolutely certain that I'm going to be dead. That's the end of me. That's what he says evolution tells us loud and clear. How would you like to have uh, Dr. Provine teach your child biology at school? Well, he's, he taught to thousands of other people's children, and there are many William Provines throughout the schools in this country. Now, let me tell you something else about William Provine. One time he took a poll of his students at the very beginning of the semester, and from that poll, he found that a full 75% of his students gave God some credit. They either believed in creation outright, or they believed in that God used evolution. But at least they gave God some credit, 75% of them. Then he taught them one semester of evolution and took the same poll of the same students. This time, only 50% of them gave God any credit. So it went from 75% to 50% after just one semester of evolutionary biology. And he was quite proud of that. Okay, so evolution scientists, they understand. They understand that you can't believe in both. They contradict each other. As he says, evolution makes it loud and clear. Shouldn't we as Christians, as experts on the Word of God, shouldn't we understand the contradiction? Now let me show you something that kind of relates to this. Richard Dawkins, he's a 
I'm sure many of you heard of him. He's the, by far and above, he's the most famous atheist alive today. Professor Oxford University, avid writer. He's written many books, including some bestsellers. People just gobble up his atheistic literature. Let me show you something that this very famous atheist said. Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. Now, what does Dawkins mean by an intellectually fulfilled atheist? We see, before Darwin invented evolution, it was hard to be an atheist because up to that point, atheists had no way to explain how we got here. I mean, we're here. How did we get here? If God did not create us, how did we get here? So it was hard to be an atheist back then. But then along came Darwin with his invention of evolution. And right away, the atheist pointed at it and said, Aha! That's how we got here, by evolution. No God needed. We went from the slime to people just by evolution. So that's what Dawkins means when he says Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. So when it comes to creation and evolution, should we believe the word of God or should we believe the word of man? Let me show you something Jesus said that I I think can be applied here. John chapter 5. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? If you read the context of this, you'll see what was going on here is Jesus was admonishing the Pharisees and probably others for not believing his teachings about himself. And the approach Jesus used here was to say, hey, if you believe what Moses wrote, you'd believe what I'm telling you. But since you don't even believe what Moses wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So Jesus Christ, the King of kings, Lord of lords, tells us very clearly we should, be, we should believe what Moses wrote. So what did Moses write? Among other things, he wrote that God created everything in just six days. You know, God is our Father. And we should be proud of our Father. He's done some marvelous things. He's had some huge accomplishments. And we should give our father credit for those accomplishments. You know, I'm a father. I'm a father to to three children, three boys. And uh, I've had some accomplishments that I'm proud of. Nothing like creating something, but I've had some accomplishments that I'm proud of. For example, when Sandy and I first got married, we bought a house together. It was a kind of fairly nice house, but the basement was not finished. Well, I had a lot of time on my hands because we didn't have any children yet, so um, I said to Sandy, you know what, I'm going to finish that basement. And I'm going to do it all by myself. That's going to be my thing. So when I get done, I can say I pounded every nail. And so for the next four months, I worked like a trooper in that basement. I mean, I worked on weekends. I worked on my days off. I worked in the evenings after work. I even worked in the mornings before work. I worked as much as I possibly could. I just worked and worked and worked in that basement. And I pounded every nail. I put up a sheetrock, the wing school. I did the wiring, the plumbing, the carpet. I did everything all by myself. And after just four months, I had it finished. And I was quite proud of that. Oh, and by the way, years later, when we eventually sold that house, the man who bought the house said, you know, Chris, what really sold me in your house was the basement. So I had a right to be, I had a right to be proud of that accomplishment. Now, it wasn't long after we started, after I finished that basement, we started having our children. We had them close together. We had three boys, uh, 13 and a half months apart and 14 and a half months apart. So they were close together. They became playmates with each other. And they started joining up with other kids on the block, little kids on the block, and they'd play together, and, and it was kind of cute. And sometimes I'd overhear some of their conversations. 
to overhear the conversations of, of uh, kids that age, it's, it's kind of cute. Most of you know what I'm talking about. But what really warmed my heart as a dad was once in a while, I'd overhear our boys in those conversations with the neighbor kids bragging about their daddy. Our daddy can do this, or our daddy did that. Boy, does that not warm a man's heart to overhear his children bragging about their daddy. But let's just pretend for a minute. This part I'm about to talk about is not true. But let's just pretend for a minute that instead of overhearing our boys brag on their daddy, instead I overheard them saying something like this to their friends. Well, our daddy, he says he finished our basement by himself in just four months. But we don't believe daddy. And the reason we don't believe daddy is because we talked to Joey. You know Joey that lives, lives down the road? Joey's really, really smart. And Joey says, there is no way your daddy could have finished that basement by himself in four months. It would have taken your daddy years, many years to finish that basement. And he would have had some help, needed some help with some process or something. So we don't believe daddy. We believe Joey instead. Now, if I overheard our children saying that to their friends, that would really upset me. Oh, it'd get me right here. And it'd make me angry. You know why it would make me so upset? Because those were my children. And I had given them my word that I had finished that basement by myself in just four months. And to hear them doubt my word and, and teach others to doubt my word, that would have just crushed me. It would have made me angry. I don't care what Joey says. You know what? Joey might be the smartest six-year-old on the block. But Joey wasn't born yet when I finished that basement. I was there. I know how long it took. Joey doesn't know. Now, uh, where am I at here? Oh. I get excited. I'm sorry. Okay. Why do so many Christians refuse to accept God's version of creation? You know, if it would upset me that much as a father to overhear my children doubt my word, what's it do to God, our Father, when he overhears his children doubting his word. I would expect it would upset him. And someday we've got to face our Lord and explain everything. Everything. Okay, now why do so many Christians refuse to accept God's version of creation? Well, that's an easy question to answer. <laughs> it's because they think scientists have somehow proven evolution to be true. I mean, think about this a second. If scientists next month, give up on evolution and say, oh, boy, we, we found some new evidence. Huh. Turns out evolution's wrong. Turns out Darwin's full of baloney. It turns out this other theory that you haven't heard about yet, turns out this new theory, that's the true one. Evolution's totally wrong. If scientists all gave up on evolution like that, would one out of three people in churches still say, I don't care what all those scientists think. I believe in evolution. Of course not. The only reason one out of three people in churches today say they believe in evolution is because they think that scientists have somehow proven to be true. So that's their starting point. Instead of, instead of God's word being their starting point, the word of scientists is their starting point. And let me tell you, if you, if you saw the, if you're here in Sunday school, you see scientists' word isn't always so good. So that's why. Now, so, why? Why do they trust God's word? Why do, why do they trust man's word 
that evolution has been proven when it hasn't been proven. Because I can tell you, evolution has not been proven. Far from it. In fact, once you hear both sides of the evidence, and I realize most people haven't, but once you hear both sides of the evidence, it turns out the evidence overwhelmingly supports the creation model better than the creation model. supports the creation model better than the evolution model. Overwhelmingly. Well, the reason they, they believe it is because that's what they've been taught. Like I said in the beginning, people tend to believe what they're taught. People are taught that evolution's a fact, so that's what they tend to believe. Let me show you some examples of that. Examples where people have been taught that evolution is a fact. This is a biology book I picked up. Actually, it was at a bookstore on a Christian college, you know, right on campus. And so the book they were being, at the time I bought it, it was being used to teach biology 101 or whatever the first course in biology was at that Christian college. Let me show you what the students were taught from this book. Virtually all biologists consider evolution to be a fact. Why? Because an overwhelming body of evidence permits no other conclusion. And this is a book that I had to use for a paleontology course that I took at Penn State. Let me show you what I was taught. There is no longer any controversy as to whether or not evolution has taken place. The huge and growing mass of data demonstrate decisively the fact of evolution. So that's what I was taught. So that's what I believe. Again, people tend to believe what they're taught. Let me show you a real fact about evolution. It's a fact that most of the smartest people in the world believe in evolution. Not all, but most. And people like to believe like the smart people do because it makes them feel smart. You know, I have a term for that. People who like to believe like the smart people do. I call it the smart club. I made it up, but that's, that's, that's what I call it. People belong... You probably know people in the smart club. They're those people that go around acting smart all the time. You know some people like that. And how they act smart? They quote smart people. They quote smart people on evolution. They quote smart people in the Big Bang. They quote smart people on everything because it makes them look smart. Now, I have a confession to make. I used to belong to the smart club. But I got kicked out. You know why I got kicked out of the smart club? Because I quit believing in evolution. You cannot belong to man's smart club if you don't believe the smartest people in the world believe. And most of the smartest people believe in evolution. So I get kicked out. But that's okay. I don't mind because now instead of going around quoting smart people all the time, I go around quoting God. And that's worked out a lot better because you know what? God, God knows a lot more than those smart people do. In fact, God knows everything about everything. So it doesn't make a lot more sense to go around quoting God who knows everything about everything instead of quoting smart people who, compared to God, really know practically nothing. Of course it does. Besides, what does God think about man's smart club? He thinks it's foolishness. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. So when it comes to creation and evolution, we all have a choice to make. We can trust the word of God and look foolish to man, or we can trust the word of man and look foolish to God. That's our choice. Now, I mentioned earlier that we all have to face our creator someday. Now, let's just picture that for a second. It's all going to happen. Every, everybody's got to face the Creator and give an account someday. And when that day comes, well, first of all, you'll, you'll, you won't, you'll actually be on your knees because the Bible says every knee shall bow. But think about this. You're on your knees before the Creator. And you have to give an account of everything you believed. 
how would you like to be in a situation of one out of three people in churches this morning who believed in evolution instead of God's word? What would you say? Well, God, uh, uh, Professor Joey at college said you couldn't do it the way you said you did it. How would you like to be in that situation? Wouldn't you rather be in a situation where you knew you had trusted God's word? No, you knew that you had believed what Moses wrote? I think that's a lot safer bet. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I'm not very good at praying out loud, so I'm going to ask Pastor to come up and close us in prayer, if that's okay, Pastor.